Basketball fans worldwide, welcome to the Draft and Stash NBA podcast. I'm your host, Tim Smith, and welcome to the very first episode, the debut, the inaugural episode. Either way, exciting stuff going down right now. And another big welcome to those that are listening to this as it comes out. It is very much appreciated. Now, before I jump into the content that I want to discuss today, I thought I would give a bit of a general rundown on how this podcast is going to work since it is the first episode. So first of all, this is mainly going to be a one-man show to begin with. And with that being said, I do have plans for guests that I do want to bring on the show, and I already have some lined up and signed up to make future appearances. So expect a range of voices and opinions, but also expect some episodes like this where it's just me, the mic, and my thoughts. Second of all, this is an NBA podcast, all things NBA and all aspects NBA. But I definitely have a soft spot for the NBA draft, hence the name of the podcast. I love the NBA draft, it's pretty much my Christmas day, and I've been following it religiously for the past few years. So there will be a lot of draft-based content mixed in with the NBA content. Now, with that all out of the way, what is there better to talk about than the NBA Draft? The 2020 NBA Draft is currently just over a month and a half away, sitting over there in mid-November, and I know those of us that have followed it closely are absolutely sick of the 2020 NBA Draft class. We've overanalyzed these prospects so much, we've had way too much time on our hands, and we can't wait to move on to 2021 and Cade Cunningham. But in the meantime, I haven't talked about the 2020 NBA Draft in a podcast-like setting as such, and with the draft right around the corner, I think it would be a good time to air some of my thoughts. So first, I think we'll talk about the Minnesota Timberwolves. The Timberwolves landed the number one pick at the NBA Draft Lottery. They entered the night tied for the highest odds of winning it with Golden State and Cleveland. Of course, the Golden State Warriors ended up winning the second pick. And Cleveland, they fell a bit unlucky and dropped down to number five. But with Minnesota, I think it would be good to talk about them in a kind of draft preview type format. Talk about their potential options within their ranges, having three picks. And talk about who they most likely will take who I think they should take, and who I would avoid at all costs. To be honest, it's not a great year to have the number one pick. I know there are a lot of reports coming out about teams wanting to kind of fall in the draft and not win the draft lottery, and so it's a pretty historically bad year as of right now, just looking at it from a pre-draft perspective. So there isn't a general number one consensus prospect like we've had in previous years, There is no Ben Simmons, there is no Zion Williamson, instead we've got this kind of upper echelon tier of pretty mediocre top prospects compared to previous years. I think the general consensus is that the top tier is LaMelo Ball, Anthony Edwards, and James Wiseman. Those aren't my top three, but when you ask most people, that will be who they'll say when it comes to the 2020 NBA draft class. So for Minnesota at pick number one, I think there are three likely realistic outcomes. Like, I'm just going to quickly debunk a few that some people have been talking about. First of all, James Wiseman. James Wiseman would not fit the Timberwolves. I've heard some people talking about playing Cat at the four and kind of stretching the floor more and playing two bigs because of Cat's ability to play on the perimeter. But that's just not how it's going to work. James Wiseman and Carl Anthony Towns... They just wouldn't work well on offense. I'm pretty sure Minnesota, they're sold on this idea of playing five out. And 
the, that too big lineup, I'm I'm just not faithful in it. I don't see it happening. I I'm all small wall to be fair. Secondly, I've heard some people talk about potentially trading down for Onyeka Okongwu, and okay, I'm I'm a bit of a bigger fan of the Okongwu pick rather than Wiseman, but it's still not great. A lot of people are claiming that Onyeka Okongwu is some, you know, super mobile big man who can defend two through five. I don't view him like that. I view a lot of his hype as coming off the back of um, Bam Adebayo's breakout season. I, I just don't view Onyeka as some defensive game changer who would be able to play next to Carl Anthony Towns uh, or even have, you know, the perimeter skills to be able to do such a thing. Those are pretty much the only two uh, prospects that I'm hearing being talked about that I just think is ridiculous and unrealistic in terms of working or even happening. Uh, I think there are three realistic uh, routes in which the Timberwolves will probably take. Uh, the first of those being LaMelo Ball, second of those being Anthony Edwards, and the third of those being trading down to the mid-late lottery. And actually, recently, there has been a lot of talks of a connection between LaMelo Ball and uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, on draft lottery night, I thought Anthony Edwards was like a dead set lock to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Not not because his fit was necessarily good with the Timberwolves, like I still don't think the fit's good. But I definitely think it was better than the fit that LaMelo Ball would have with the Timberwolves. And I thought it was a pretty certain lock-it-in kind of pick. But now that we get closer to the 2020 NBA draft, it appears that the Timberwolves are a lot more uncertain with what they want to do with this first overall pick. And there's been a few reports surfacing about LaMelo Ball being the front-runner if they don't trade out. So the trade-out is still a possibility... I, do, I honestly don't know if the market is really there for the pick outside of New York chucking like Kevin Knox at you, which is not worth it uh, at all. Uh, Kevin Knox is a bit of a scrub at this point, unless he turns uh, his career around. But the Timberwolves' interest in LaMelo Ball, it surprises me quite frankly. So let, let's talk about that. Uh, with LaMelo Ball, before I talk about his potential fit with the Minnesota Timberwolves, I think it's fair that I talk about how I view him as a prospect. So LaMelo Ball currently sits at around in the 4-6 to six range of my big board. My big board's pretty fluid and I'm still just refining it and tweaking it every few days or so. So is in that 4-6 to six range for me. And with LaMelo Ball, I understand his potential. I understand his like 95th percentile outcome. And it's really intriguing. Uh, the archetype is this kind of Luka Doncic, James Harden type which is your, your jumbo-sized playmaker, uh, a three-level scorer, elite IQ, one of those players that you can play heliocentrically due to the sheer gravity in which they have as a player and uh, the, the attention they get and the way they're able to take advantage of that with their um, ability to get the ball moving and create players and all sorts of things like that. Um, I believe that LaMelo's absolute potential is that sort of player. But my issue with LaMelo Ball as a prospect is how is he actually going to get to that point? The The path to there is so much tougher than I think a lot of people actually realize. Uh, LaMelo Ball is an elite playmaker. I think that part of his game is going to translate very well. Uh, in particular, he's an amazing transitional playmaker. He loves to hit the bet ball ahead. Uh, loves to play fast, eyes up. And he has this almost insane accuracy on some of these full court passes, very similar to Lonzo. It's that Chino Hills style offense. 
it's fun and it's exciting. Uh, and even his half-court playmaking, I would say it's better, better than his brother Alonso's. Uh, I think everyone's seen that one um, behind-the-back dribble, behind-the-back pass to Josh Boone for the dunk. And it really showcased his uh, creativity with the ball in his hands in the half-court. And with his height and ability to play angles and length, he's uh, able to get the ball to a lot of difficult spots. And he's the kind of player who looks like he enjoys playmaking. But with LaMelo Ball, I'm not worried about his playmaking at all. Not even in the slightest. Also his rebounding. Excellent rebounder for a guard. Especially being 6-7 helps a lot, I'm sure. But with LaMelo Ball, it's his scoring game that just worries me severely. And it's not just his shooting. Uh, of course, I'm not sold on his shooting as well. And I'll quickly talk about that. Uh, with LaMelo Ball, uh, he's never actually had a season where he has consistently shot the ball from deep. Whether it was with Illawarra, where he shot under 30% this past season. Uh, in Lithuania, even though he was young, still wasn't a, even a near a decent three-point shooter. Uh, in the JBA, he loved chucking up shots there. And in high school, I know he wasn't the greatest either. That was probably his best performance when it comes to shooting the ball. But in the past couple years, it just has not been great. And alongside that, his mechanics just have no consistency. Uh, he seems very stubborn. Uh, and I, I just don't see a lot of uh, potential. I think he become become league average at volume. But that's not necessarily an effective basketball player. Um, I, he has great touch on his floaters. I'll give him that. He's got great range and touch when it comes to shots like that. But I think that kind of overshadows uh, the rest of his touch around the rim because aside from that he's actually pretty good at whiffing layups and uh, it's kind of uncomfortable to watch like some plays he'll be uh, super acrobatic he's got like a nice little finger roll touch with the ball and then on other ones he just misses the rim it's kind of insane like I'm just thinking of one player I can't remember which game it was he gets the steal on the fast break. Take, it might have been the Kins game. And he takes it down the court and just absolutely whiffs a wide open layup at the rim. Um, he's also not a big fan of contact. So I don't see him ever becoming um, a big time free throw shooter at the next level. Which of course is a key element to being a scorer. But all of these habits, um, his shot selection as well. Uh, it's just, it creates an inefficient basketball player. And I would say he is a, a, not a non-scorer definitely a highly inefficient one and not a go-to scorer and as a primary playmaker as someone whose main talent is playmaking if you can't score the ball defenses are going to treat you differently differently they're going to cut off your passing lanes they're going to dare you to shoot and they're going to you know play you to their advantage and you can't have that as a star at the next level like I think he'll get better as a scorer he will get more efficient but I, I don't trust him to be able to break these habits and to actually become a legitimate scorer at the NBA level to the to like an all-star level, say. And as a number one pick, are you really going to bank on a guy who's just going to be a great playmaker? And this is this is without mentioning how he's a defensive like liability. I mean, he's got the size and everything, but his foot speed is pretty horrendous. Um, his IQ on the ball... It improved with Illawarra over the season. Same with his effort a little, uh, if especially late game. But for the most part, it just wavers in and out, in and out. 
Uh, off ball, he was decent, and that's where I like his potential defensively. So I guess what I'm trying to say here is I view Lamelo as a great playmaker at the next level. I could definitely see him being uh, near the top of the league in terms of uh, assists per game even. But when it comes to his scoring, I don't see it translating at all. And I honestly have very little faith in him becoming an efficient scorer. And when it comes down to it, I don't think he will be an all-star level point guard. He might have one or two appearances, but for the most part, I don't think he'll be an effective player towards winning basketball due to these habits and uh, deficiencies. Now, with his fit with the Timberwolves, it's kind of hard to understand. So, D'Angelo Russell, I get it, he can play as a combo guard, but for the most part, he is a point guard. And he was actually forced out of LA because of Alonzo Ball to begin with. So it's kind of weird that now LaMelo Ball could potentially be his teammate. Um, with LaMelo Ball, I don't feel he has a whole lot of off-ball potential. Uh, especially if you're playing in a two-guard like, two lineup, like a bit of a point-guard tandem. Uh, I don't think LaMelo Ball would thrive off the ball. Um, he's great at little touch passes and everything. But in terms of being a catch-and-shoot player... He didn't really showcase a whole lot of that at Illawarra. Uh, most of his three-point attempts were off the dribble and uh, all sorts of things like that. But he did have a few times where his mechanics looked a bit cleaner in catch and shoot, but I, I'm still not sold by it. And not only that, but he has a really bad tendency to just stand around off the ball. That was seen a lot when Aaron Brooks was playing with the Illawarra Hawks. And uh, with D'Angelo Russell on the court... The, the truth is, D'Angelo Russell is a better basketball player than LaMelo Ball. He will get more touches. And LaMelo Ball will need to, if he wants to be able to play with the Minnesota Timberwolves and D'Angelo Russell, who looks to be a bit of a cornerstone for their franchise as they try to keep Carl Anthony Towns around, LaMelo Ball will need to be able to develop in these kind of combo guard skills to be able to fit into the way this team plays. But that being said... Playing the mellow ball as a primary playmaker, it would work a lot better with D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns being such good uh, shooters. Carl uh, Anthony Towns is probably one of, if not the greatest, uh, three-point shooting big man. Not named Dirk Nowitzki, of course. And LaMelo Ball being uh, the primary playmaker in this situation, he would have a lot of opportunities uh, to get these shooters open. He showed a great feel for being able to spot shooters, uh, whether that was driving in off of uh, a pick and roll and uh, kicking it out to the pick and pop player, or being able to spot these corner shooters, uh, especially in transition. He was amazing at getting it to um, his corner three-point shooters, guys like Tim Conrad and uh, Blanchfield. Um, it was really fun to see in that sort of scenario. But with the Timberwolves and the first overall pick, I don't know if you're going to be wanting to bet on LaMelo Ball developing in his deficiencies compared to a few of these other options who I feel are more safe and uh, aren't as much as boom or bust prospects. And a lot of my thought process comes down to the fact that I don't believe in LaMelo Ball booming. Uh, and that kind of drives my philosophy when it comes to this first overall pick. And I think the nail in the coffin for not selecting LaMelo Ball first overall would actually definitely be his defensive deficiencies. When you've already got D'Angelo Russell on the court and Carl Anthony Towns on the court, do you really want your third starter to also be a defensive negative? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And that's why I think we should start talking about Anthony Edwards. I believe Anthony Edwards while not a great fit with the Minnesota Timberwolves, 
is definitely a better fit and more worth the first overall pick. Uh, Anthony Edwards is actually number one on my big board, which is uh, kind of funny considering how I view him as a prospect. Uh, the truth is I don't view most of these guys at the top of my board as being... Uh, definite stars in the NBA, like I have in previous years. Like, of course, last year, uh, I was confident in Zion coming into the NBA and being an offensive star, at least. Um, a little, I was a little more skeptical on a bit of his defense, which, of course, in his first season has been a bit shoddy. Uh, but, yeah, and then with Ja Morant, I was confident in him be- becoming a star as well. And those were my number one and two guys uh, of their draft class. But with Anthony Edwards at number one, I'm a lot more skeptical about him becoming a star at the next level, but I also believe that he has um, a bit of an easier path to becoming a star compared to a lot of these other players uh, at the top of this draft. So with Anthony Edwards, he is a dynamic scorer. I love his ability to score off the dribble. I think that was shown beautifully in his Michigan State game. He had about 37 points, most of it coming in the second half, uh, and on uh, off the dribble jump shots, just an incredible showing. But with Anthony Edwards, um, I see him becoming, I don't like player comparisons, but he has shades of Eric Gordon, like a young Eric Gordon in his game. And a lot of that comes from uh, kind of the physical profile, uh, the strength in which he has at the guard position, and uh, also his shooting ability. Uh, Of course, Eric Gordon, known as quite the knockdown shooter in the NBA. Um, I believe, despite his percentages, Anthony Edwards could be quite the knockdown shooter in the league, uh, just depending on how he is utilized in his early seasons, uh, in this case with Minnesota. Now for me, where Anthony Edwards kind of outranks LaMelo when it comes to who I think the Timberwolves should prioritize uh, is in his defensive potential. Now Edwards was pretty lazy when it came to defense at times. Uh, He would take plays off, just wouldn't get back in transition. But when he was locked in, he showed a lot of potential as a, as a man-to-man defender, being able to take players one-on-one and just come to defensive stops. Uh, he's really good at using his uh, strong frame, uh, six, six, ish with like a 6'9 wingspan. Um, very strong for a guard, very strong. Great verticality. He had quite a few highlight blocks. And unless Minnesota decides to trade down in this draft, in terms of defensive potential between LaMelo Ball and Anthony Edwards, I'm definitely choosing Edwards as potentially becoming a good defender in the league. Um, My thought process kind of comes from the whole Ben Simmons situation. So when Ben Simmons was at LSU, uh, he was a pretty poor defender, uh, very lazy, uh, very similar to how Edwards has been described. And now when he's in the league, uh, he's not on this poor LSU team. Uh, he's become a lot more focused as a defender and is actually using his physical attributes and is one of the best defensive players in the league. Now, I'm not saying Anthony Edwards will be one of the best defensive players in the league, but I can definitely see him or project him to be a plus on the defensive end uh, if he just sharpens up a bit, which I think could happen based on his attitude and the way he carries himself off the court. Now, one aspect of the Minnesota Timberwolves roster, which I can see kind of turning them away from Anthony Edwards, is actually Malik Beasley. Uh, Malik Beasley was very good for the Timberwolves after uh, he got traded from the Denver Nuggets. He's putting up north of 20 points a game. Um, he, was, he was knocking down a lot of threes. Uh, he was making it rain out there in Minnesota. 
Um, and he's actually uh, would play a pretty similar role to what Edwards uh, will. Um, he is a restricted free agent, so Minnesota will probably attempt to retain him. Also with um, Hernan Gomez this offseason, who they also landed from their trade. Um, but what it pretty much comes down to, I think, is how much they value Malik Beasley compared to Anthony Edwards. Uh, and whether they think they could play next to each other, they could try rolling out a lineup of like D'Angelo Russell, Anthony Edwards, or Beasley, like one, one of them at the two, one of them at the three, and then, of course, um, you know, your, your usual front court uh, of like Hernan Gomez and Towns or whoever they want to throw at the four next season doesn't really matter in this scenario. And due to how Malik Beasley performs this past season, I think there is a decent chance that they view Malik Beasley as similar to what uh, Anthony Edwards is. Maybe that opts for Edwards to get that kind of production or to bet on that kind of production on a cheaper rookie scale deal. Or they could um, just say, nah, we're happy with Malik Beasley. He already knows our system. He's a bit more mature as a player and go with him. And due to these reasons, they possibly could go for LaMelo Ball. Because I, I, as I've mentioned, I don't see James Wiseman as an option. I don't see a Kongwu as, a, as an option. Denny Avdia, I'm, I'm a big Denny Avdia fan. Uh, I could see them potentially trading down for him. Uh, but in the meantime, I think LaMelo Ball might actually be their pick as much as I... <laughs> don't like it. Also, with them just uh, recently selling the team, LaMelo Bull is exciting. He gets fans in seats. He draws attention. They would make a lot of juicy sales off of LaMelo Ball. So, drafting LaMelo Ball for the financial side of things could actually be a legitimate strategy that the Timberwolves do now with the team being sold. So, right now, what I'm thinking is that they are most likely going to select LaMelo Ball with the information we know at the moment, even though I think Anthony Edwards would be the better option. But there is still the chance that they do trade down, as we know they are looking to trade down, and I think Denny Avdia would be the player they are targeting. Of course, they have a bit of a hole at the four, uh, with Hernan Gomez being the likely starter next season, unless they sign some free agent or, or whatever. But with Denny Avdia, I, I believe that he's a small four power forward hybrid at the next level, mostly playing the four, and that he'd actually be a great fit in Minnesota. Uh, Denny Avdia is kind of in the also in the four to six range of my big board alongside uh, Lamelo Ball. I think I've currently got him a little bit higher than Lamelo Ball. Um, I've currently just gotten a bit higher on uh, Denny Avdia after his recent performances, uh, which he, he's been brilliant in the um, Israeli Super League. Uh, but with Denny Avdia. He is um, a great playmaker. Uh, I think you could really do with that a bit of a secondary playmaker next to D'Angelo Russell, not necessarily the full primary in which Lamelo is, but someone who can kind of run a bit of a secondary pick and roll, keep the ball moving around. It's just excellent stuff. And I think I'm a little higher on Denny's defensive potential compared to a lot of uh, people in the draft community. I know some people call him slow-footed and don't think he'll be able to defend the perimeter as well. But I think he, he's a good team defender. And uh, he definitely, in my eyes, uh, will be able to hang with NBA perimeter players. Uh, not guards, uh, but definitely threes and uh, perimeter fours. And uh, I like his potential as a weak side shot blocker as well. Not necessarily like an impactful shot blocker, but it is still something of note. Um and I've recently become a lot more uh, sold on his jump shot. Of course, his free throws are a worry. 
shoots like 55% from the free throw line, but he had a fair, his fair share of off the dribble jumpers, which is what I've been looking for. Um, Denny of has just made great improvements uh, since coming back from uh, the COVID-19 hiatus. Uh, he's gotten stronger, he's become arguably a better shooter, and he looks a lot more aggressive and confident, and that's what I love about him. And on this Minnesota Timberwolves team, he could give them a lot of character and just be a great complementary and supplementary piece next to D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns. Um, honestly, right now I'm thinking he's almost like a 15-7-3 guy at the next level, not straight away, but that is consistent production. Uh, plus, if, if he's a, a, a positive on defense, I feel like that's exactly what the Minnesota Timberwolves need in their front court next to Carl Anthony Towns. Um, I've gloated way too much about Denny Avdia, but my thoughts at the moment are, in terms of options, take Edwards at one. Uh, I think that that's a great realistic option. Uh, next, I would look to trade down to Denny Avdia, kind of in that four to five range. Um, and then with Lamelo Ball, it's probably the most likely outcome, but I, I would be opposed to it. Um, so now let's talk about the number 17 pick, uh, at number 17, the pick was acquired. It's originally a Brooklyn pick. There are a lot of great prospects with good role player potential. And I feel like Minnesota, if they strike lucky, they could pick up a, a solid piece for the future here. So of course, with their selection here will be influenced by who they take at number one. So first we'll talk about the most likely scenario at the moment, which is if they take LaMelo Ball. So if they take Ball, they're likely set on this backcourt of uh, LaMelo Ball and D'Angelo Russell, and we'll look to address the front court, more specifically um, their powerful position. Um, there's some great options here. Uh, Jaden McDaniels, uh, Sadiq Bey, if he's available, Patrick Williams, uh, Precious Ashua. I think those are the realistic um, four men that can uh, be available at that point. And uh, out of all of them, I'm the highest on Jaden McDaniels. Uh, now, Jaden McDaniels, he didn't have a great season at Washington. He actually came in uh, preseason uh, mock drafts. He was in that kind of top five range. Uh, but before that, he was even like getting hyped up for number one in this class. But he came into Washington. Uh, he was an absolute turnover machine. And uh, he was also a pretty inefficient uh, jump shooter. Uh, but what I like about McDaniels so much is... Um, it's just his fluidity and his skill set at his size. He's in that kind of 6'10 range, and uh, he's just so fluid and mobile. Uh, and alongside this fluidity and mobility, he has a really nice shooting touch, despite his horrendous percentages. Now, most of his percentages, they, they were held back by his um, efficiency around the rim, and it wasn't great. Uh, his efficiency at the rim was pretty horrible. But if he can just become league average at that, which I feel is realistic, especially considering his uh, athleticism, and also um, if he bulks up a bit, he could probably deal with contact a lot better, and I can see him filling out his frame pretty well. But with Jaden McDaniels, his ball handling, and his ability to just pull up off the dribble, it is very promising. Uh, and of course he has a scorer's mentality that was made pretty clear at Washington and uh, the amount of shot attempts he took and also the types of shots he was taking. Um, his shot selection was pretty poor, but um, his, his percentages were at least 
uh, tolerable in my eyes. And uh, I think there's a lot of potential with uh, Jaden McDaniels as a scorer. But for the Minnesota Timberwolves, it isn't this scoring upside which I'm most excited about uh, in terms of his fit with the roster. It's actually his defensive potential. Um, Jaden McDaniels is a long perimeter player, as I've mentioned. He's very fluid. And with his physical tools, coupled with his lateral athleticism, I feel that he can be quite the defensive player at the next level. And next to Carl Anthony Towns, that is what the Minnesota Timberwolves should be looking for, is a rangy defensive player who can play inside and out defensively. And I think Jaden McDaniels has the potential to be that at the next level. And of course, 17 for some people might be a bit high for him, but I feel like this is right in his range. And... It's a worthy gamble for the Timberwolves and could look to pay off in a few years down the line. Uh, another guy who can play that kind of 3 and 4 role uh, is Patrick Williams. Uh, Williams is actually the youngest American in this draft class coming from Florida State. He didn't actually start a single game there, but he was such an impactful energy guy. Williams is a really interesting defensive prospect. I think he gets a lot of attention coming off the back of Kawhi's developmental arc. And it's kind of unfair to thrust these uh, expectations upon Patrick Williams. But with being a defensive-oriented combo forward, um, there's a lot to work with there. And he's shown a pretty competent off-the-dribble game, despite being a pretty poor catch-and-shoot three-point shooter. But with Williams, he could really fit what the Minnesota Timberwolves need and provide a similar kind of skill set to what Jaden McDaniels does but in a different way. I would say that Patrick Williams is a better defensive player than Jaden McDaniels, but definitely lacks the offensive polish in which which Jaden McDaniels does have. But in terms of his fit on the Minnesota Timberwolves, I think Patrick Williams, much like Jaden McDaniels, to me they're pretty interchangeable in terms of their fit on the Timberwolves at this stage. Uh, They're both high potential prospects, of course McDaniels more offensive oriented, and Williams more defensive oriented, uh, I, I believe they'd both be great fits next to Carl Anthony Towns. Not necessarily uh, impact right away, guys, but for the future. And this is a young Timberwolves team uh, with D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns still a bit away from their prime. Um, guys like Jared Culver on the roster as well. Uh, and I feel like with Patrick Williams, uh, he could be a great piece moving forward, great role player potential, almost like a Jeff Green type player in my eyes. Uh, another forward that is talked about a lot is Precious Ashua. Uh, I actually view Precious Ashua as more of a, a five man, more of a small ball center, and I'm not as high as him. Uh, he's closer to 40 to me in my big board. Uh, I can see why people get excited about him. Uh, he showed a lot of promise as a small ball center. Uh, he's a great rim runner. He loves getting out there, highly athletic, uh, long strides. He's also an excellent rebounder. And he showed a bit of mobility defensively. I'm not as sold on his hip movement. I believe he's not as good laterally as what some people might think he is. But he did show this kind of aggressiveness and intenseness uh, when it came to uh, clamping up some guards on like closeouts and drives. Uh, he did a great job at that. But offensively, he is still very raw. I wouldn't consider him a shooter at this stage, despite... Um, hitting some at uh, Memphis, I I don't think that's going to translate to the NBA level just quite yet. And I still feel like he has quite a way to go in terms of his uh, offensive IQ and uh, could be a bit of a G League prospect 
to start off with, and uh, potentially a role player down the line, but I'm much more sold on Patrick Williams and Jaden McDaniels uh, due to their feel for the game compared to Precious Ashua. Also, Ashua, he's uh, two years older than most freshmen, uh, which is not a good start, uh, and usually I'm not one to put age as a, a kind of a limitation on a prospect's potential, but being two years older and still considered raw and new to what he's doing, like that, that means he's got potential uh, for development there. But it's pretty late at 20 years old to just be learning how to play as a big man, uh, especially for my liking. The last couple kind of forward players that I'll talk about, more kind of, one's more of a 2-3, one's more of a 3-4. Either way, they're both elite sharpshooters. In terms of this draft class, we're talking about Aaron Neesmith and Sadiq Bay. Now, I think Sadiq Bay, much like uh, the other forwards I've mentioned, Patrick Williams, Jaden McDaniels, could be a good fit on this team. Sadiq Bay just screams role player to me. Uh, he's from Villanova, of course has that Villanova seal of approval, as people say. Uh, he was an excellent three-point shooter, shot close to 45% from three, uh, really developed strongly in that area over his uh, career at Villanova, but also showed flashes of um, being a defensive player. I think he's more suited to play the four defensively. And of course that fits Minnesota's draft needs as I've been discussing. And offensively, I feel like he is the most complete uh, as of right now out of Jaden McDaniels and Patrick Williams. Uh, Sadiq Bay also has some potential as a secondary uh, creator in the pick and roll. Uh, he showed a good feel for um, creating plays off the pick and roll. Kind of surprised me as a passer. Um, He's pretty much just a well-rounded uh, role-player prospect. I don't feel there is a whole lot of kind of star potential to him, which Jaden McDaniels and Patrick Williams could have, but I think he's going to be able to come in and contribute. And if the Timberwolves are a bit more serious on competing sooner rather than later, I think Sadiq Bey could be the pick if he's there. And similar with Aaron Neesmith. Aaron Neesmith is an absolute sharpshooter, shot over 52% uh in his sophomore season with Vanderbilt. Of course, that was on a small sample size uh, due to going down with injury. But Aaron Neesmith could provide uh, great shooting off the perimeter for this Minnesota Timberwolves team, who may need it, especially coming off the bench when you've got like someone like Jarrett Culver out there, who is not a great shooter. Uh, Aaron Neesmith can provide that, and there is always a need for three-point shooting in the modern-day NBA um, it's a similar reason they could go with someone like Josh Green, a bit of a 3 and D prospect at 17. Uh, on my big board, that's a bit of a reach. Uh, but I can, I can see the role player potential there, another guy who could be good. But if we're talking about them selecting Anthony Edwards with their number one pick, I think it's more likely that they, they, they potentially could go for one of these point guards if their player they want, whether that's Patrick Williams, Sadiq Bey, uh, Jaden McDaniels, these kind of guys are off the board, they could go for a backup point guard since their point guard rotation next year, unless they make some signing in free agency, is looking a bit lackluster and it could be nice to get some uh, support for D'Angelo Russell behind him that works within the timeline of the team. And two names that I've got here are Kyra Lewis Jr. and Tyrell Terry. Now with Kyra Lewis Jr., uh, he's currently like 14 on my big board. I like Kyra Lewis Jr., uh, blazing speed, and uh, he's got pretty good potential as a three-level scorer and a pick-and-roll player. There's definitely a chance that Kyra Lewis could be gone by this point of the draft, especially to New Orleans or Boston, who both could be looking for a player similar to him. But if he's there with Minnesota, if I'm Minnesota, 
I'll take him. He'll probably be one of the highest players uh, on my big board at that point in the draft if it goes as expected. There's a chance it doesn't. But with Kyra Lewis, I think it's worth, in the mid-first round, I wouldn't mind taking a backup point guard. Where Kyra Lewis does need to tighten up a bit is definitely in his decision-making and uh, playing a little less recklessly. Of course, blazing speed, as I mentioned. But being able to play more controlled uh, more often is a huge and important part uh, of adjusting to the NBA game. And now, Tyrell Terry is a really interesting name. Tyrell Terry, ever since the season finished, has been shooting up draft boards, particularly in the last month. Uh, And a lot of that is due to him apparently growing to 6'3", and also posting some videos where he just looks bouncy as all hell. Uh, Mans was throwing down windmills, uh, a few reverse jams. I didn't know he had that in his bag, but exciting stuff. Uh, absolute sharpshooter from uh, Stanford. I would say probably one of uh, the best sharpshooters from this class in terms of catch-and-shoot shooting, uh, pulling up off the dribble, uh, right up there with names like Isaiah Joe and uh, and whatnot, like Aaron Neesmith, those kind of guys. He's in that echelon of uh, players. And, and with Tyrell Terry, um, he could be a great addition off of Minnesota's bench. I don't see much potential of him and D'Angelo Russell playing together But as I mentioned, at pick 17, especially in a draft class like this, I wouldn't mind banking on players with an elite skill like Tyrell Terry has. Um, Terry's also a great playmaker, didn't really show that often at Stanford as much due to being more of an equal opportunity offense. But I feel feel like there's serious potential with Tyrell Terry. Uh, That is if he's available at 17 here. Uh, He's been shooting up draft boards. As I mentioned, Boston is another team which could be taking a look at him. Uh, but definitely an intriguing option if uh, Anthony Edwards is their selection at number one and guys like Patrick Williams, uh, Sadiq Bay are off the board. Now I'll quickly take a minute just to talk about the 33rd pick because uh, they've got a few options there and a lot of them are based on who they don't take at 17. So I'll probably just run down the names. The first one that comes to mind is Tyler Bay, uh, probably the best defensive player in this draft class. Shot around 40% from three, even though on limited attempts. But he does show that potential to be able to uh, stretch the floor at the next level. And that kind of relentless defense, uh, high IQ defense. Like, just take just take a minute, pause the podcast, and go search up Tyler Bay, like, scouting videos or whatever, and watch this man play defense. Um, he's at 6'7", but can defend... I would say could de- probably defend one through five with the exceptions of uh, some of your more uh, elite players in those areas. Like, you know, I don't think he could contain a De'Aaron Fox or a Joel Embiid. But everything in between, I think he could pretty much handle. Uh, another great defensive uh, player at the four slash five position would be Paul Reed. Uh, I like Paul Reed a bit more than Tyler Bay. I believe he's got, he's got better uh, shot creation potential. Not quite the defensive player that Tyler Bay is, but could still be a definite positive uh, at the next level uh, next to someone like Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, another guy that comes to mind, Robert Woodard out of Mississippi State. Uh, he's more more of a three than a five, unlike uh, Tyler Bay and Paul Reed. Or No, Tyler Bay's positionless, but uh, Paul Reed's more of a five. Uh, on that spectrum, Robert Woodard is more of a three. Uh, Woodard, just your basic three and D kind of role. Um, also a bit of a, a run and jump guy as well. Could definitely see the Timberwolves targeting him at pick 33 if Tyler Bay and Paul Reed are gone. 
Uh, in terms of point guards, because I was talking about the importance of picking up a backup point guard and the value of it, uh, I've got about five names here uh, who are all in a similar range to me in terms of my big board. Uh, Trey Jones is the first one that comes to mind. He's got Minnesota ties, of course, with Tyus Jones, and having gone to high school in Minnesota, so he could be a bit of a fan favorite selection. Um, he's a talented playmaker, uh, quite the defensive player himself. And I can definitely see him thriving in a backup point guard role at the NBA level. I feel like he's a bit more of a safe pick, especially um, with the improvements he made to his shooting in his sophomore season at Duke. Uh, another similar player is uh, Malachi Flynn. Malachi Flynn is definitely a better shooter than Trey Jones. And um, he's a very good uh, playmaker as well. Uh, I'm not as sold on his finishing ability. Uh, but another guy I can see being a great backup point guard at the NBA level. But talks are, um, as of today, a few reports have come out saying that his draft stocks are increasing a bit with every time um, that scouts are seeing him. So he might be gone by 33 uh, at this point. Uh, there's a bit of talk of him being a late first rounder instead. But still, guy to keep an eye on. And then uh, Devon Dotson of Kansas, uh, another speedy point guard. Excellent finisher around the rim for a point guard. Can't remember the exact numbers, but his percentage around the rim is uh, uber efficient. Um, I feel like he could also be a great backup point guard at the next level. Um, Grant Rilla is actually a guy I'm really excited about. He's probably one of the most polished scorers in this uh, draft class, but he is on the older side of, of the spectrum. If I'm not mistaken, he's probably the oldest player in this draft class and uh, still needs to make improvements as a playmaker, kind of carries too much of a scorer's mentality and not quite the defensive player as these other prospects like Jones, Dotson, and Flynn. Uh, but Rilla could be an instant offense kind of guy, uh, straight into the league, immediate impact scorer. Rilla could be the player they go to if they're looking for more of a win-now approach, but if they're looking for future development, they're more likely to go with one of these younger point guards, like one of the sophomores. And another older player that they could look at is Cassius Winston. I don't know if he'd necessarily be the pick at 33, but again, one of the best shooters in this draft class, um, and also one of the best playmakers, a bit of a defensive liability due to its size, and isn't a great finisher around the rim, but another just heady point guard, uh, great leadership, and looks to be the part of a future backup point guard, just a solid rotational piece. Now, after over 40 minutes of talking about the Timberwolves, I think that's enough from me, and I'll stop right there with my Minnesota Timberwolves draft preview. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode one of the Draft and Stash podcast. I'm looking forward to doing more episodes in the future. They'll likely be weekly or every two weeks, just depending on how my schedule is. But either way, thank you so much for listening. Make sure you tune in next time and have a brilliant day.